This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. But I would like to uh, talk with you about uh, today is, you know, I think it might be up here written behind me. Can y'all read that? God is great, you know, and that should be said a whole lot better than Tony Tiger when he talks about his Frosted Flakes. Now, I like Frosted Flakes have since I was a kid, but, you know, uh, and, and they're great, but God is greater. He absolutely is. But let me read you a couple of passages here uh, out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 3, verse 24. And it says, O sovereign Lord, I am your servant. O sovereign Lord, I am your servant. You have only begun. You've only just begun. I think there's a song like that or something. But it says here, you have only begun to show me your greatness and power. And God has only begun to show you and me his greatness and his power. He has demonstrated it so wonderfully in sending his son, forgiving us of our sins. But it ain't over yet. And uh, he has only begun to show me his greatness and his power. Is there any God in heaven or on earth who can perform such great deeds as yours? What do you think about that? No, there's nobody who can do the great deeds that God does except him. Psalms 147 verse 5, it says, How great is our Lord! Exclamation mark. How great is our Lord! His power is about halfway. Absolute. His power is absolute. 100% there. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Oh, God is great. He is fantastic. He is wonderful. Now, you know, this is a fantastic theme talking about the greatness of God, that God is great. How great thou art. It's just, it's just one of the better themes, best themes that you'll ever discover in God's word. But I want you to think about it for just a moment. Have you ever seen when you're driving around or maybe you live close to some power lines, you ever seen the doves or the robins or the sparrows or the blue jays or cardinals, whatever kind of bird there might be, have you ever seen a bird sitting on a high power electrical line? He's way up there in the air and you see that high voltage, you know, Line and there's a little old bird sitting on that. A little old bird just sitting on that, and you're going like, I know that thing supposed to be so tremendously powerful, all that electricity going through there. How come it don't hurt the little bird? It's what we think sometimes. Well, there's a secret. The secret to the bird sitting on all that power and it not hurting him is that while he sits on that power line that he don't touch anything else. Because if he could reach down and touch the dirt, if he could reach down and touch the ground, or if he could reach over and touch the power pole or something like that, 
he would be fried. And we need to think about that as you and I, if we want to access the mighty power of God, the great power of God, that we can, we can uh, access his power, but we need to make sure we're not touching anything of the earth, anything that is filthy, because that would kind of ground us out and it wouldn't work so well for us. You know, when you reach one hand to God and you grasp some forbidden fruit like Adam and Eve did, it don't work so good for us. So we can get a hold of the greatness of God and just embrace him, allow his power to flow into us and out through us. But we're not grabbing a hold of forbidden things. Listen to what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, therefore, come out from them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord, and touch not the filthy things. You don't want to be touching all this power and then grounding yourself out by touching all kinds of filthy things. That's what he says right here. And he says, and I will welcome you and I will be your father. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Now what percentage is all? 100%. He says, you'll be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord, 100%. Almighty. All the might and all the power is in him. And as we embrace him, he's forgiven us in the past for the things that we have touched that were filthy and were contaminated. And we don't want to play with that stuff no more. We want God's love and his, his mercy and his almighty power flowing to us and through us, changing lives in this world in which we live. If you'll remember Ananias and Sapphira, you know, it's there in the New Testament, they lied to God. They tried to get away with just lying to God. In the Old Testament, Achan, you know, uh, he hid some, what were referred to as accursed things, things he wasn't supposed to have. He hid those things in his tent. And we remember how Judas Iscariot, he went and took 30 pieces of silver. Those accursed things, they were filthy things because he received them for betraying Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there was a... a a prophet in 1 Kings chapter 13, you can look it up later on, and God had told this prophet to go in and talk to the king Jeroboam and give him a warning. And then God told the prophet, he said, once you give that warning, you turn around and come straight back out of that city and don't stop for no reason. And the prophet did exactly what God had told him to do. He warned the king there, he turned around, but then there was another backslidden prophet, a man who wasn't close to God anymore. And he came out there in the street and said, hey, oh, God talked to me, and God told me to tell you, come home with me, and I'm supposed to serve you an awesome dinner. Well, God had already told the other prophet, don't stop for no reason. But he stopped, he had dinner, chatted with the old prophet and all, and then when he left, he got eaten up by a lion. The thing is, we want to embrace almighty God, the most high, full of that resurrection power, but we just don't want to ground ourselves out 
with filthy things that will just bring about consequences that we don't want. Anyhow, it says in Psalm 62, verse 5, it says, I waited quietly before God, for my hope is in him. I waited quietly for God because my hope is in him. He alone, God alone is my rock and my salvation. He, he, he alone is, is my power. He alone can forgive me and save me. That's just the truth of it, you know. My God. He's forgiven me of all my sins. My God, how great thou art. How great thou art. God is great, what I'm talking about. And it says here in verse 6, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, while I will not be shaken. Verse 7 says, My salvation and my honor come from God alone. Salvation comes from God alone. He is my refuge. He's my, he's my shelter, my protection, my, my safe harbor, my retreat. He is my place of safety. And then it goes on and says, a rock where no enemy can reach me. My God, how great thou art. You're familiar with that old song, aren't you? How great thou art. And whoever wrote that song was greatly inspired by all the verses in the Bible that revealed to us how great God is. Verse 8 says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Now, what percentage is all? 100%. My, oh, my people, trust in him. Trust in God at all times. When there is a coronavirus, when there's injustice in our world, when there's rioting, where there's confusion, where there's chaos, where things are not really the way they ought to be, it says right here, he says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Interlude, which just basically means, stop and think about that. He is our refuge. He is our safety. He is our safe haven, our harbor. Verse 9 says, from the greatest to the lowest, all are nothing in his sight. We, 100% of us, we're nothing in his sight in comparison to him. From the greatest and most powerful people in the world to the lowliest, the, the most common people like me in this old world, all are nothing in his sight. If you weigh them on the scales, they are lighter than a puff of air. That's what he says, puff of air. Well, we're nothing in compared to him. I'm talking about God is great. God is great. We're not so great, but he forgives us and he loves us and he cares about us. He's crazy about us. He really is. Human life is insignificant compared to eternal life. And as we put our trust in the almighty God, there is a life that is eternal that he has prepared for each one of us. Eternal life. And I'm going to tell you, that's a long, 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 long time. Eternal life that he has prepared for us when we put our trust in him. So it says in verse 10, it says, don't try to get rich by extortion or robbery. 
Don't try to get rich by, you know, deceiving other people, tricking other people, using your force somehow or another. Don't try to get rich by extortion. Don't try to get rich by robbing something that don't belong to you. And he says, and if your wealth increases, and it most probably will, when God blesses you. He says, and if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. It's okay to have wealth. It's okay to pay for things that you have need of. It's okay to be a blessing to other people. But he says, don't let it become the center of your life. God is great. (laughs) And we're not. We need him. And he is advising us. He says, you know, that when your wealth increases, if it does, don't make it the center of your life. Now, some people think that wealth is great. But wealth is not great. Wealth is good. God is great. There's a big difference there. When you got God, you got everything you need. So wealth is good, but God is great. Let me pick back up here in verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11, it says, God has spoken plainly. And he's giving us a little, a mixed bag of information here. God has spoken plainly and he speaks to us plainly in his word today when we'll go to his word and he goes on to say and I've heard it many times have you heard the voice of God speaking to you and giving you wisdom and showing you yes or showing you no and then he goes on to say power oh God belongs to you power belongs to you who are the what was that word almighty power belongs to you my God How great thou art. That's what I'm talking about. Craig Randall, he drives a garbage truck in Peabody, Massachusetts. And one day he noticed a Wendy's soft drink cup in the garbage bearing a contest sticker. Having won a chicken sandwich the week before, Randall checked it out, hoping for some french fries or a soft drink. Instead... He peeled a sticker worth $200,000 toward the construction of a new home. While some people only saw trash there in that garbage truck, you know, Randall, he saw something that might be of value. Turned out to be of great value. And lots of times, you know, there are people in this world who they look toward God or they look toward God's word and they consider it almost trash. And they miss out so much because any man, woman, boy, and girl who looks to the almighty God is the most valuable thing. God is great. He is the greatest that has ever been and ever will be. And he's crazy about you and he's crazy about me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, and how do you benefit? How do you benefit if you gain the whole world, you get all the stuff, and you lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? Hmm. See, some people don't recognize God as being great. But see, if we can pursue stuff just material things on this old earth that are good, but they're not great. Only God is great. Only God is the almighty. And when we look to him, 
He forgives us and he cleanses us and he leads us and guides us and he turns horrible situations around and he works them together for good. When we look to him, and we need to recognize how valuable, how, how awesome, a fantastic, wonderful treasure God is when we bring him into our life. And we need to stick with this book. The book. We call that the Bible that God has made available to all of us so we can get to know him better and better and better. Listen to what it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, and he will give you all. Now, what percentage is that? 100%. You know? And I'm asking, what are you looking for? And it says, and he will give you all you need from day to day. I'm talking about my God, how great you are. He will give, he said right here, he will give you all. That's 100% of all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, what does primary mean? It's your number one, first, above everything else. Seek first. God and his kingdom and everything that you have need of is going to come looking for you. God's going to make sure that it happens just that way. Now, some people see more of God's greatness in a walk around the block than others see in a trip around the world. Depends on what you're looking for. What are you looking for? I'm looking for God every day, every morning, Throughout the day, in the evening time, even in the night time, I'm looking for God. You got your eyes on him. And he says, if you'll seek him first above everything else, as your number one, uno one. Is that the way to say it? Number one above everything else. He says, you make him your primary concern, he's going to take care of everything it is that you have need of. In relationships, your finances, your health, that's what he says he's going to do. So what are you looking for? Are you looking for God? Are you looking for his kingdom? Now Martin Luther once said, God's wonderful works, which happen daily, are lightly esteemed. I mean like the sun rising and the clouds moving and fresh air coming our way and vegetables growing and the livestock are growing and, and all the good things that we have here in this life. He said, God's wonderful works, which happen daily, are lightly esteemed, not because they are of no importance, but because they happen so constantly and without interruption. You know, the sun rises every day, whether you see it or not. Man is so used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds all creation, and because things daily run their appointed course, it seems insignificant. And no man thinks it's worth his while to meditate upon it or to regard it as God's wonderful works. It's just so common. You plant seeds in the ground and they just grow. You know, sun rises and it says, turn on the faucet, Water comes out of the faucet from a well down beneath the, uh, the surface, you know. Maybe you've got city water. But God's blessings are so constant, we just can take them for granted. But I'm telling you that God is great. He is awesome. He is wonderful. He is fantastic. Listen to what it says here in the book of Romans, chapter 8, 
That is a fantastic book, a chapter in the book of Romans to read. It has just got gold nuggets thrown throughout from the beginning to the end of it. And it says here in Romans 8.31, it says, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, and he is, who can ever be against us? My God, how great thou art. If he's for me, and he is the almighty and the most high, if God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Even the bad things that happen, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what he promises. Just put him first. He's going to add everything to your life that you have need of. That's what he says. Picking up in verse 32, it says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? What percentage is everything? 100%. Won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? My God, how great thou art. He is awesome. He is wonderful. Max Licato once said, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, he will take all but one. He will leave the final one for us because the choice is ours. There's a thousand steps between us. God will take 999 steps and reach his hand out to you. And all you got to do is take one step toward him. And maybe today is the day that you choose to take that one step to him. Take hold of him. Let him get a hold of you. And he'll forgive all your sins. And he'll just hug you and just love you. And he's got places prepared for us all one day. We're just pilgrims passing through right now. We need to grasp the reality. Anyhow, picking back up in Romans 8, verse 33, it says, Who, dare, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God, question mark, no. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. He's the one, right standing means he's, he's forgiven us. He's made us the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus do, did for us, we can be right with God. Our sins can be forgiven. Our sins can be forgiven. So we'll go to heaven. My God, how great thou art to forgive me and to write my name in the book of life. And that I will see him in heaven one day. And those who've gone on before us. There was a, uh, uh, a Marganita Lasky, a novelist and a secular humanist, who said just before she died, she said, and she died in 1988, she says, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. My God, how great thou art. He sent his son Jesus and he paid for our sins and he forgives us and he welcomes us into his very presence to spend eternity with him one day. Picking back up at verse 34 here in Romans 8, who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No. 
For he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Look at what verse 37 says. No. I don't mean he don't love you anymore if those things have happened. No, despite all these things, all these things that seem to be bad, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That's what he said. That's what his word says. Overwhelming victory is ours even if difficult things happen to us. Even if we have coronaviruses. Even if there are riots and there's injustice in the streets. He tells us that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Through us having a relationship with Christ. My God, how great thou art. Oh, he is the most high. He is the almighty Verse 38 goes on to say, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. I'm going to tell you when we die, it don't separate us from his love. It just moves us on closer into his very presence. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. And life can't. And the angels can't. And the demons can't. And our fears about today and all the things that's going on and our worries about tomorrow and what you're going to read in the news tomorrow and even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. That's what he tells us. Overwhelming victory is ours through relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 39 says, Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love for us is revealed in the fact that he sent his son, who had never ever committed a sin, and Jesus so willingly gave his life for all of us, paid for our sins, that we can go to heaven and live with him throughout all of eternity. And no matter how good this whole world looks to us, it ain't nothing compared to what God's got for us in heaven one day. Oh, my God, how great thou art. There was a little girl I was reading about, and uh, she enjoyed the guilty feeling that she was having after she had accidentally broke her mama's favorite teacup. Because mama said, I told you, honey, I forgive you. And she enjoyed hearing her mama say, I forgive you. Because she had probably done quite a few things before she needed to be forgiven of. But mama said, I told you I forgive you. Now put those pieces of that cup back into the trash. And don't take them out again. I forgive you. And this little girl, she enjoyed knowing that even though I broke something very special to mama, she forgives me. She enjoyed those feelings of being forgiven. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 says, three different times, this is the apostle, so three different times I begged the Lord to take it. It was a thorn in the flesh that he had. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, 
My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. Well, I qualify for God's power to work in me because I'm pretty weak at times. He says here, my power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may work through me. God's greatness allows him to use weak vessels such as me, you know, such as a lot of us to accomplish absolutely amazing and great things. He's so great, he can use a weak tool. Like a fantastic, you know, physician can use weak tools to help people get better and, and, and mechanics can use little weak tools to get the automobiles working better. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. My God, how great thou art. Nothing's impossible with you. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let me just finish up this last verse I wanted to read out of there. It's in verse 10, it says, Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I'm quite content with my weaknesses and with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then, am I, then I am strong. When I'm weak and I acknowledge that fact, then I am strong. My God, how great thou art that you can use a weak vessel like me to accomplish some great good because how great you are. That's just absolutely amazing. It really is absolutely amazing. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, I want to ask you this question. Do you perceive you, when you're thinking about these kinds of things, do you perceive God as being great? Or you don't know? If you go, I perceive he's great. How great do you perceive that God is? <laughs> I'm going to tell you. When you read this book and you see he created everything that is here and all the things he's done and the promises that he has for us and even after we pass through this old life, what he has promised for us, he is amazing. There is nothing greater. He is the almighty. He is the most high. It says in Philippians 3 verse 4, Paul said, yet I have confidence and yet I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. I could be confident in me. Oh, he was a highly educated man. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I'm a smart man. I did everything I was supposed to do. Verse 5 says, For I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That was the law that they had to live by then. Having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family, that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, that's pretty special, you know. So I am a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was a member. And I kept all of them laws. I, I, I did it all right. Verse 6, and zealous, yes. In fact, I harshly persecuted the church. And I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. Now I'm talking about this guy. He'd been, he'd been doing the right stuff according to him. And then in verse 7, he says, I once thought that all these things were so very important. 
keeping all the rules and all the laws and all the regulations. One time I thought this was so very important, but now, the Apostle Paul says, but now I consider them worthless. All the rules and all the regulations, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He has done so much greater than the law could do for us. If Christ had not come, we would have been in a real pickle. But he did come. He did pay for our sins. He did rise from the dead. And he did say that if we'll believe in him, we'll have eternal life. That's what he promises us. Verse 8 goes on to say, yes, the apostle says, yes, everything else, all those things that I used to do, everything else is worthless compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And there's a difference between knowing him and having a relationship with him or just knowing some little historical something about him. And Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have Christ. You know, I hear an emergency vehicle outside the church building here right now. Let's take a moment. Somebody might be in need. Somebody you might even know. Lord, we ask that you'd help that uh, first time, first responders who are going to help someone in need. And we ask that you'd help that need. Lord, that you would draw them all closer to you. Protect them, we ask. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And amen. He's telling us right here, he counts all that stuff that he used to think was so important, so valuable. He says it's like garbage now so that I might have Christ, a relationship, a knowing who Christ is because he's greater than anything you can compare him to. Lord, you are. Old song we used to sing, more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing that I desire can compare to you. You know, having Christ is the greatest attainment that we can ever have in life. And the loss of everything else is not that big of a do if we've lost it that we might gain Christ. Lord, send me where you will. Lord, send me where thou wilt, only go with me. Lay on me whatever thou wilt, only sustain me. Cut any cord but the one that binds me to your cause and to your heart. Wow. Lord, I love you. Please just stay close to me. Here's a statement that I came across in my studying, and I found that that is absolutely true. Only God is permanently interesting. How many things end up in tag sales? How much of stuff ends up discarded? We think it's going to fulfill us and, and meet that longing and satisfy us somehow or another, but it ends up in a tag sale or a garbage dump or a junk pile somewhere along the line. Only God is permanently interesting because he loves us. He's the one who's created this world for us. He's the one who has a plan for us after we pass on through here. And he is interesting. And all that he tells us in his book, it is so interesting. You'll never get bored if you pursue relationship with him. 
Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Do you have no respect for me? Why do you not tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, am the one who defines the ocean's sandy shoreline. Did you hear it? God says, why don't you show him respect? He says, I am the one who defines the ocean's sandy shoreline. Did you know what God did? God, he defined, you know, there's sand. And God said, this right here is the shoreline. And you're not to pass that line. Oh, during a storm, you know, there might be a little bit of water that splashes up. Splashes beyond that, you know, gets everything wet, scares everybody for just a little bit, you know. There's a little bit of water that splashes around a little bit. That's all it can do because God says he drew this invisible line in the sand and told the oceans and all their waves, don't pass here. Oh, they'll splash by in a little old storm, but they'll go right back to where they were told to stay. God did that. Did you not know that? When you go to the beach and you see where the waves stop and then you'll see the tide come in and, and go back out, God told it what to do. That's almighty God. That's who I'm talking about. He says here in Jeremiah 5, do you have no respect for me? Why do you not tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, am the one who defines the ocean, sandy shoreline, an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waters cannot cross. Oh, it'll splash across it in a little old storm, but it'll go right back where God told it to go. He is the Almighty. The waves may toss and roar, God says, but they can never pass the bounds I have set. Oh, that's amazing when you think about that. You know, the, the universe is, is centered neither on the earth. The universe is, is not centered on the sun. The universe, I'm not talking about just earth. The universe is centered on God. Because God told it what to do and how to do it. He put the sun there and the stars in their place and he put us into orbit and made things spin and tilt and all those things. God did that. He is a creator of it all, and he is worthy of you and I to praise him. That's for sure. Psalms 145, verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord. That's what I'm talking about, you know. You know, how great thou art. There's an awesome song about that. How great is God. Psalms 145. 45 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, exclamation mark. He is most worthy of praise. All day long, no matter what's going on, I thank you, almighty God, that the sun rose today. I thank you that the rain came. Thank you for the days that the, the sun didn't rise and for the four foot of snow too and whatever else comes our way because God put it into motion. He's got a reason for it even if we don't understand it. It says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. His greatness is beyond discovery. There is not a tape measure big enough 
to measure the greatness of God. Oh, we'll get little glimpses of it here and, and over there, but we'll never really get the fullness of how great God is because he's just almighty. He is so great. John 15 verse 5 says, yes, this is Jesus talking. Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. You know, the branches grow on the vine. And those who remain in me, those who remain in me, this is Jesus, those branches who remain in me, the vine, those who remain in me and, and I in them, the sap from the vine flows into the branch. There's life there. Will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, everything is centered on the vine. All the branches that are cut off of the vine, well, they can't be productive. They can't produce no fruit no more. But we stay in relationship with him now. And one day when we pass on, we'll be in relationship with him throughout all of eternity. Psalms 145, picking up in verse 4, it says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Tell them how great God is. Sing to them the song, How Great Thou Art. Teach them all about the greatness of Almighty God. It's what he's saying here. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Verse 5 says, I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. My God, how great thou art. Meditating on your wonderful miracles. Verse 6 says, your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. What about you? Will you declare the greatness of Almighty God? Will you sing, how great thou art? In the midst of all the things that's going on around about us now, will you sing such a song? Let me pick back up here in verse 14. It says, the Lord helps. Who? The fallen. My God, how great thou art. He don't just help the perfect people who've never fallen. He says the Lord helps the fallen and he lifts up those beneath their loads. My God, how great thou art. You help us when we fall underneath our heavy load. You lift us back up. You surely do help us. Every follower of Jesus needs to understand that Christ has power over life and death. Think about it. Christ has power over life and death. Otherwise, we have no news that is ultimately good news. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead and he said that he so, God said he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. They would rise from the dead too. That's the good news, that Christ rose from the dead and he promised us who live for him, we shall rise as well. John Huffman, in his book, Who's in Charge Here, tells about Robert D. Wilson, a great professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. One of Dr. Wilson's students had been invited back to preach in Miller Chapel 12 years after his graduation. Old Dr. Wilson came in and he sat down near the front. At the close of the meeting, the old professor came up to his former student, cocked his head to one side in his characteristic way, extended his hand and said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. 
I only come once. And I'm glad that you are a big godder. A big godder? When my boys, who he taught the Bible, when my boys come back, I always come to see if they are big godders or little godders. You're a big godder. And then I know what their ministry will be. His former student asked him to explain, and he replied, Well, some men have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him, and he can't do any miracles, and he can't take care of the inspiration and the transmission of the Scriptures to us, and he doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. And then there are those who have a great God, he speaks and it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. You have a great God and he will bless your ministry. He paused a moment and he smiled and said, God bless you. And he turned and he walked away. My question to you on this very day, are you a little godder or are you a big godder? Do you serve a little old God who can't do nothing, who can't help you? You don't answer no prayers. He's never there for you. You know, you just worry and worry and fear about every little old thing. Or are you a big Godder that you know God is almighty? Oh, Lord, my God, you know. Oh, how great thou art. You are almighty, all powerful, and you can do everything that you have promised us in your word. I'm going to ask you to think on that. And you come to the conclusion, and I'll tell you something. I became a big godder as I read his book. And he reveals secrets to us. And he causes faith to rise up on the inside of us as we get to know who he is. And I am telling you, he is almighty. He is the most high. And he's crazy about us. He's crazy about you. I know that for a fact. So do you pray? Like a big godder prays, knowing that with God all things are possible. Are you a little godder? Well, if it be your will, we don't know. Find out what his will is and then pray according to that. There was a Welsh woman who lived in a remote valley in Wales and she went to a great deal of trouble to have electricity you know, installed into her home. They noticed that she didn't use very much electricity at all. In fact, her usage was minuscule. They sent a, a meter reader out to check on the matter to see what was happening. The man came to the door and he said, we've looked at the amount and it don't look like you're using your electricity. Oh, yes, she replied. We turn it on every night to see how to light our lamps. And then we turn off the switch again. Because they was afraid they was going to use all the electricity up. So she turned on her electrical light bulb so she could get her matches and, and light her lamps. And they lived by lamplight. They, they lived in a lot of darkness because she was afraid she was going to use all the electricity up. Some Christians apply the power of God in their lives the same way. They just use a little dab of do you. I'm not going to really ask God for much. I'm not going to really trust him for much. You know, just because I'll take care of everything myself as best as I can. I'll just use them in a real pickle just a little bit. I'm going to tell you something. 
We got light bulbs in this place burning galore all over the, the city, all over the United States, all over the world light bulbs are burning. And we've not used it all up yet. And I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> oh, Lord, my God, almighty, how great thou art. You will never exhaust all the power and the love of God, his grace and his mercy. It continues to flow new to us every morning. That's what my Bible says. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Flooded with light. Not just a little old lantern light. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future that he, God Almighty, has promised to those he called. I want you to realize what a rich and a glorious inheritance he has given to his people. That's you. Use your inheritance. Use the electricity. Use God's power. He is the Almighty. How great thou art. He loves us and he's crazy about us. I'm telling you. He just wants a closer and closer and closer relationship with us. That's what he wants. 1 Corinthians chapter 29 verse 11. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Your Bible says the same thing. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. What percentage is everything? 100%. And God can give you anything he wants to give you. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things, 100% everything, riches and honor come from you. If you got riches, if you've got honor, it came from God. Riches and honor come from you alone for you rule over everything. What percentage is everything again? 100%. Power and might are in your hand, almighty God. And it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. If you've been given strength, if you've been made great, if you have wealth, if you have any of your needs met, it says it's God's discretion. And it is at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. Oh, there are so many things. If you look it up in the dictionary, the encyclopedias, there are so many things that are referred to as great. I wrote down a couple of them. The Great Basin, the Great Lakes, Alexander the Great, Great Britain. But only God is truly great. How great thou art. And he's got plans for us. Yeah, while we're here in this old earth, but he's got plans that reach beyond this old earth. He says we're just pilgrims and we're passing through. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And he gives us heaven. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. All you can do is receive it as a gift, forgiveness and salvation, and we will live with him one day. He is absolutely great. God's greatness enables him to make a way for you and me to get to heaven. And I'm telling you, it's not because of your goodness or my goodness. It's because of his goodness. He makes a way for us to get to heaven one day with all those who've gone on before us, 
who we love. And they're cheering us on from the balcony. And we'll get there one of these days when we've run our race as well. John Howard Griffin was a white man who believed he could never understand the plight of African Americans unless he became like one. And in 1959, I was four years old. And Susan, my wife, she was just being born in 1959. That's a long time ago. But this man, John Howard Griffin, what he did, he darkened his skin with medication and sun lamps and stains. And then he traveled throughout the South and he wrote a book. And the book was called Black Like Me. And he helped whites better understand the humiliation and the discrimination faced daily by the people of color. He was a man way ahead of his time. And you know what? We, for the most part, except every man, woman, boy and girl, red and yellow, black and white, as the old song says, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the people of this world. But it caused me to think about that Jesus did the same thing. He became like us. He, he became a man. Born in a stable, he became a man. But listen to what the scripture prophesied about him before he ever came. It's in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, he was despised. Jesus was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquitted, acquainted with the bitterest grief. Hmm. He was despised and rejected. He came here as a man. He was beaten terribly and then he was nailed to a cross. He identified with you and me because he loved us and he's crazy about us. We're precious in his sight. All of us are. And we need to respond back to him and receive his gift of love. We're all his children. And he wants to love us and to forgive us and to unite us and help us to become everything he created us to be. God has in himself all power to defend you, all wisdom to direct you, all mercy to pardon you, all grace to enrich you, all righteousness to clothe you, all goodness to supply you, and all happiness to crown you. He has within himself the ability to do this. Do you have Christ in your life who fulfills us and who satisfies us and who helps us fulfill our purposes and helps us to, to, to reach our dreams and enables us one day to sit in his throne with all those who've gone before and put their trust in him and have the greatest family reunion of all times. He loves us. He is Almighty, you know, how great thou art. That's what I'm talking about. Just We're just about ready to wrap this thing up here. Psalms 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength, my shield from every danger. I trust in him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. William Carey once said, he says, I will expect great things from God. 
and why I will attempt great things for God. What about you? You expect great things from God? Will you attempt great things for God? I'm going to tell you. How great thou art. And he's crazy about you. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. He surely does. You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. If you desire greatness, you know, here's the recipe. Matthew 5, 19. It says, so if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So let's just learn his ways and teach them to the young and old alike. Speak them to our generation. He says that's where we access the greatness of God. That's where we access it. So what I want to do before you leave right now, I want to pray for you. I'd ask that you would just reach forward and reach and take hold of this wonderful gift called salvation. It's called forgiveness because God's love, he, he loves you so very much and receive his love that he's offering to you right now. He'll comfort you in ways that nobody else can. And he'll build faith within you, help you fulfill your purpose right now. Would you pray with me right now? And if you're in a place by yourself, feel free just to pray it out loud. That's what we normally do around here. You know, if you're uncomfortable with that, just pray it silently. That's okay, too. But would you join me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I want to love you, too. I believe you sent your son, Jesus. And I believe he died on a cross for me. Though he was sinless, he paid for all my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's knocking at the door of my heart right now. And I open wide that door and I welcome Jesus into my life as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. I couldn't pay for it but you paid for my forgiveness with your life. And I declare that you are my Savior and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.